0: Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of The Ecom Show. And today I'm here with uh, a founder or maybe co-founder of uh, My Wife Quit Her Job, uh, Steve Chu. And uh, he's also a Wall Street Journal uh, best-selling author. And uh, his blog and YouTube channel has uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribe- subscribers and followers. And actually we met, I think in May. Uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, at his conference, annual conference, it was a great event. I would say it's a more um, family-like event, let's say, uh, <laughs> around two hundred people, right? Something yep. like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I invited him into this podcast, and finally, both of us we could make 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 it. So I'm really happy to have you here today. How are you, Steve?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me, Daniel.
0: So. Let's start with your uh, story first. So when did you start your first business? If I'm not mistaken, you were an engineer before, right?
1: That's correct. I used to be an electrical engineer designing microprocessors. Yeah. So what happened? Sounds like a great (laughs) job, actually. It was a great job. Uh, I was never the one that didn't like my job. It it was my wife who who didn't like it. And uh, when she became pregnant with our first child, she went up to me and she said, Hey, I want to quit stay at home and raise the kids i was fully on board with that and so that's how we launched our handkerchief store bumblebee linens which ended up making a hundred thousand dollars in profit the first year she was able to quit and then i was like okay maybe i should have a backup plan too so i just started writing about what it was like running this store and that started attracting a following and then uh that led to a training class uh a podcast, a YouTube channel, uh, the conference that you went to, Daniel. And uh, for the longest time, I resisted quitting my job. So I went down to four days, three days, two days, one day.
0: And then finally, the,
1: the big boss came in. The big boss left. A new boss came in, pulled me in and said, hey, what exactly do you do in just one day? And I had to tell the truth. I don't really do anything. Uh, I am really here just as your insurance policy in case anything breaks because I was one of the three big designers on the entire, on one of the major products that was making the most money for the company.
0: Wow. And what was the
1: year? How long time ago was it? Uh, I quit in 2016. My wife quit in 2008, I want to say, or 2009. I, I can't, it's so long ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: why e-commerce and why this type of product and and business? It was
1: all by accident. When my wife and I first got married, she knew she was going to cry at the wedding. She's, she's a crier and we paid all this money for photography. And so she wanted to be in the photos, not using one of those ratty tissues to dry her tears. She wanted a handkerchief, couldn't find any anywhere in the US. Finally, we found this factory in China, but you had to buy a whole bunch. But they were so cheap, so we ended up buying a couple hundred of them, used maybe a handful of them in the wedding. And then we just listed the excess on eBay, and they ended up selling like hotcakes. And that's why when she told me she was going to quit three years later, we actually got back in touch with that supplier.
0: Wow. And uh, so you started this e-commerce business. And actually, you you said the 100K in the first year is a profit. That's, that's great. I think many people, they would just dream of that number. Um, And at what point you decided that you want to share your story, you want to launch the YouTube channel, and and you don't want you know not you don't want to be just an e-commerce business owner?
1: Yeah, um, I started the blog in two thousand nine, and then uh, it just really started taking off, especially because our e-commerce business was taking off. So that one hundred k was the first year. It became a seven-figure business. I want to say in twenty thirteen. And you know, I was writing about all this stuff, and it was exciting because our, our store was growing every year, and I was just talking about all the strategies. And that's when people started asking for a training class. So that was actually the first thing that I did. That launched in 2011. And then the podcast didn't come out until 2014. The only reason I did it because, was because I wanted to meet people, and there's mm-hmm. no better way to meet people than a podcast, as you probably know, Daniel. All the other stuff didn't come until much later the seller summit the conference started in 2016 because i wanted to see people in person and the youtube channel is actually only four years old really so 2019 is when i started that right actually i started during the pandemic because i had nothing else to do yeah
0: so after 2020 something like that that's quite new yeah so I wouldn't say it was accidental, but it took time, right? So you you were not as purposeful at the beginning. That I want to build a community and all of that. That's you correct. Just started sharing things and people like that. And I guess ten years ago, you know, e-commerce was this was way before the dropshipping
1: era and all of that. Uh, this is before Shopify, before Amazon, even yeah. before uh, big commerce and and all those other carts. The only options were open source and Yahoo I think was was the primary provider at the time. Wow
0: yeah. when it, so now you are on Shopify or you, you I am to- not
1: actually so okay, what ended yeah, up happening was uh, I started out on an open source platform which means you get all the source code. Uh, I'm on OS commerce and unfortunately that card got got uh, discontinued I want to say 10 years ago not not quite ten years ago probably like seven years ago. Because I'm a coder and I had the technology, knowledge, I have been maintaining that myself. All the upgrades, anytime there's a new feature to be made, I code it myself. And that's kind of, I, I enjoy that part of it because I really miss what I used to do in my technical job. And so just doing these little plugins, yeah. as I call them, uh, keeps me stimulated.
0: Yeah. And uh, what part of, of this entrepreneurial
1: job do you find the toughest, the hardest? <sighs> the hardest is really the grind. I would say that most people think that running a business is pretty glamorous, but it really isn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. in e-commerce, what we're really doing is getting shipments out the door. We actually bought our own warehouse earlier this year because the rents just continue to raise. And so, you know, we've been running our warehouse for years. That part is boring. It's not fun. Uh, When people make a mistake in the order or when someone calls to complain and we got to deal with all that stuff. The fun part, is the marketing, how to get customers in the door, uh, building communities and that sort of thing. But, you know, with the good always comes the bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there are people who like actually the fulfillment part, right? You, you, you have to find those people. Uh, actually, in my finance team, there are people who enjoy sending invoices, you know? So once you find those people, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. So, but I know what you mean. Like most people, especially creative people, they get bored very, very, very fast with you know those type of jobs. Yeah. Um, and also, so yeah, one thing is not super clear to uh, to me. So I will ask now. So when I went to the conference, this was my first time, and mm-hmm. I started following you just you know a few months before. Um, and I know many, or even most. Uh, people there, they are uh, more active on Amazon than
1: on Shopify, right? And uh... Uh, actually, that's not true anymore. Okay. It started like that, but I think something happened uh, two or three years ago. It's like just before the pandemic, I think 2019 was a turning point mm-hmm. where people were like, hey, you know, Amazon's getting harder and more expensive every year. So we focused a lot of the content starting going forward on owning your own e commerce platform. And so fast forward today, a lot of those people are diversified now that attend the summit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, why was this the core of your audience? Because you were also on Amazon or?
1: I Remember, I started before Amazon. And to this day, my earnings on my site exceed Amazon. I always just treat Amazon like cash flow. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: it's, it's money coming in that you could reinvest, but it doesn't really have, longevity to me that's why i focus all my efforts on my own store my email list my sms list Mm -hmm. yeah so i had a you know quite
0: many amazon experts here uh, and uh, you know different people and some of them they say that they don't want to go to amazon because it cannibalizes their brand Uh, others they say that it's an extra revenue and it's a nice add-on that you must be careful Others, they are very bullish on Amazon, so I can see you all know, kinds of people. But um, it sounds to me that you are in between, right? So you use Amazon, you don't want to,
1: you know... I mean, I what I think is everyone needs to be omnichannel, right? So mm-hmm. Amazon owns over 50% of e-commerce, pretty yeah. much need to be on there. You should be on there. Yeah, You shouldn't restrict yourself to any one platform, selling all the platforms. But your most valuable platform, obviously, is going to be the one that you own.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how do you see the role of uh, email marketing, retention? Also, what, what are the most important activities for you when it comes to... I mean,
1: that is the core of our business. Email is about 30% of our business. Repeat business is, I think, 36% of our business. Mm-hmm. So the way you grow in e-commerce is you establish a solid base of customers who buy from you over and over and over again. And then you look for new customers to just kind of add to the mix. That's that way every year you're building your business and it's growing on its own. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ezra Firestone um, he also talks a lot about this. That basically it's almost impossible not to grow if you have this strategy. That yeah, you retain the customers. They increase, you know, the TV increases that segment, and then you just gain new ones, and it just grows. So it's hard not to grow with this strategy. Um, yeah. I think the problem comes when people, they think that it's enough to sell only once and I will grow to the moon, but you know, at some point uh, you will just burn out or burn down the whole market. So,
1: so I mean, yeah. that's essentially what happens when you sell on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Most of those sales are one and done, So you can't, yeah. you don't, you don't get a lot of repeat business. You don't, have the customer information. So that's why it's hard. That's why Amazon's more random.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your book. And uh, I'm curious when you came up with this idea that you want to write a book and also what it is really about and who you recommend that you know someone should read it.
1: Yeah, so th- the book was always on my bucket list. So I was gonna write it regardless. But I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So that's why I went the traditional publishing route and tried to hit the bestseller list. And, you know, thankfully I succeeded. Uh, I wrote this book and maybe you can comment on this, Daniel. It's Mm -hmm. because all the business books out there, all the advice, all the gurus out there are all these like young guys with no responsibilities. They're not married. They don't have any kids. They can afford to work 80 hour weeks and that sort of thing. But I started my business so I could spend more time with family. And if you ask most people why they started their business, it's for freedom, right? Freedom to do whatever they want. And so my goal was never to make $100 million or start the next big company that would occupy all my time. I mean, I wouldn't mind making that much money, but that wasn't the goal. And so my goal is to work as little as possible to be able to spend as much time as possible with my family and friends. And there's a specific strategy if you want to do that so that you don't overexert yourself, so to speak. thing about making money is that once money starts coming in and you're not used to making it, everyone tends to develop this fever where you just want to make more and more and more and more of it. And I actually went through that same period in my life where I wasn't used to making these large sums of money, and all of a sudden it was coming in, and all of a sudden I just wanted to grow, grow, grow. And what I didn't realize was in the background, when we were setting these income goals every year and hitting them, that I was driving my wife crazy. And it wasn't until she sat me down and said, hey, we don't even spend a half, you know, a fraction of the amount of money that we make. Why are we constantly moving the goalposts? And after that conversation, you know, w- we change things. And really, that's like the philosophy of the book. Most of us, we're just out for freedom, but you don't have to work your butt off for that freedom In fact, you need to structure your businesses in such a way so that it adds to your life and doesn't take you away from it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, that fever is a very interesting thing. And uh, I also experienced it and probably many people. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see that you found the solution. But you also wrote a book about it because um, if I look around that... uh, most online entrepreneurs i think uh, who write a book they don't have families do you do you agree yeah they, that that they, was the case hopes, right
1: that was the case and you know if you follow guys like gary Vee, that'll tell you to hustle 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 i don't really think that's sustainable uh if you're single maybe but if you have any responsibilities in the world outside of work i don't yeah. think that's realistic
0: yeah yeah so what would be let's say three things that you would uh um, take from the book? And you will tell this to young people who are single. I, I, actually, I'm single, but I want to start a family at some point yeah. in the future. So what would, what would you tell to a guy like me? Single or maybe already
1: started a family, but still young? I think the most important thing, and this is one of the concepts I talk about in the book. I don't know if your audience is familiar with the four burners theory. I'm not sure if you got a chance to read the book on your way home. Um, I haven't done it to be honest so
0: <laughs> okay so it's on my uh, it's in my uh, bedroom next to my bed
1: actually but I haven't read it yet okay so the four burners theory states that your life is dictated by four burners family friends work and health and in order to excel at any one of those you have to turn off one of the burners if you want to do really well at one of those you got to turn two off And if you're Elon Musk, you probably have all of them turned off except for the work burner. The theory is there to say that you can't have it all. You have to make sacrifices in one of those areas in order to succeed in another. So really, it's about priorities. Which one do you prioritize? So for me, family and health are probably my top priorities. So health and work are probably tied for number two. Family is number one. Friends, number four. And so when I think about launching another business or working in the existing one extra hard, I always think about these burners that I'm trying to balance. So you need to figure out what your priorities are. Maybe right now, Daniel, for you as a single guy, family doesn't matter, right? So maybe you can turn on the work burner, right? But maybe those priorities will change once you find that special person and you wanna have kids and start a family. Uh, Number two is you wanna understand how much you need. And this this is actually kinda hard. Right? Because as soon as we start making what we need, we want more and more. I would say, though, that if you have an idea of how much you want to make to live comfortably based on your current expenses, I would just take that and double it. And once you exceed this number, maybe you think about the burners a lot more and and how you can reprioritize and reshuffle things around. The last point that I would say is if you want to run a business that doesn't sacrifice your lifestyle, you have to focus on computers and automation so we run i run all of my businesses with a very low headcount and the reason i'm able to do this is cuz i write a lot of my own code two we live in this age of ai now which is amazing it's actually drastically cut down on the amount of work that i can do and that i can automate which has been amazing and you want to focus on those like the, the low hanging fruit that will allow you to just make money on autopilot. So one thing we just talked about was email and SMS. A lot of those flows that I've developed are completely automated and they generate money on autopilot. And the core of that, the lowest hanging fruit to getting business is getting your repeat customer rate up. People have already bought from you and trust you getting them to buy again.
0: Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. Yeah, let's talk about headcount and, and hiring because, uh, yeah, that's just a topic that I'm really interested in recently. So I can see that the lean e-commerce business model, is, it's becoming more and more popular. And now with AI, GPT or any kind of AI tools, it will probably explode. And uh, one of the copywriters I follow, he posted about this, that a one-man show could generate maybe seven figure a year, one, two million dollars until now, but he's, he expects to see eight-figure uh, one-man show businesses coming because of the automation. That's very interesting. So I wonder uh, how big your team is and um, how you think about hiring. And you never wanted to have a big, big uh, headcount, yeah. a big team, because I can see entrepreneurs
1: who want to do it. I mean, if you want a big team, that's purely an ego thing Uh, because employees are the biggest headaches in any of your businesses because they're unpredictable. Computers don't talk back. So once you write the code, it functions as you expect, no complaints. Uh, I can tell you for my wife quit her job, which is also a seven figure business. I just have one VA in the Philippines. That's it for Bumblebee Linens. We have three employees mainly because we run our own warehouse. but I do all of the marketing and my wife just kind of oversees the operations.
0: That's amazing. Uh, And what would you tell to someone who, um, because I think the hard part is really prioritizing, right? Yeah. Just like with, with the family and, and with the burners, right? It's very hard. And uh, for example, me, I like to test out new things. So I always find work to do because, okay, I haven't tried YouTube ads. Let's try, let's learn it or let's try, I don't know, Facebook ads or something else. So I always find something, but uh, it doesn't mean that it will
1: uh, generate any ROI. Sure. I do one thing every year, one new thing every year. Uh, this year just happened to be the book. So, uh, But the, the year before it was like YouTube, year before that it was TikTok. Mm-hmm. every year I just try one new thing and I just do it for the entire year
0: actually that's a good mindset so only one thing and then one year is a
1: long time to it's not master. that long actually but yeah I think soon, it's like but... the minimum to, to, <laughs> to understand something with you know a relative level of proficiency
0: yeah 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 I mean you know I started YouTube as like two months ago so okay. I, I, I don't know if I will do it one year from now Maybe not. I
1: don't know. So, but
0: <laughs> this is a good mindset, actually. Yeah.
1: Well, the beginning probably... is always the toughest on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but once you have your process in place, like it takes me like 20 minutes to pump out a video now. I have a process. It was miserable in the beginning.
0: Yeah. 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 Same for me. Yeah. Now it's super simple. And of course, you have some, you know, tech as well. It it all becomes much more easy. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the conference a bit. So around 200 people mm-hmm. and what, what's the purpose of the conference and of this community?
1: I mean, really the purpose is for people to meet face-to-face and build that community. Uh, I hate large events. You'll rarely see me at a, a huge event like a Prosper show or, or something like mm-hmm. that. I want to know that I can actually meet everyone by the end of the event. So that's why I keep it small. We run masterminds. And the reason why we do that, uh, is your audience familiar with masterminds?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we run masterminds because my businesses didn't really start taking off until I belonged to a bunch of masterminds. Okay. And you can't really do that in a large event.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we are a big believer of masterminds. and uh,
1: Masterminds and networking.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, that's where you get you know new ways of thinking and you can shift how you think and and all of that technical skills is on at your conference i learned a lot about ai um but i think it's it's less about the technical things these events more about uh, how other people think and
1: yeah i mean i think the technical stuff is important too so I, I the other my pet peeve is i go to an event and the sessions don't teach me anything and. They're trying mm-hmm. to sell me something on stage. Uh, I've been to a couple events like that and never went back. So yeah, we have a, I, I don't go out and actually get the, uh, the polished speakers, so to speak, always, because those are the guys, they're, they're, they're polished. They're not going to reveal anything low level. And so I actually just try to get the brands to speak
0: mm-hmm.
1: and everyone does things differently. And that's why it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also it's less practical, right? Those yeah. police speakers. Yeah. Once I went to an event uh, here in Europe and I saw Gary Vee, Danny uh you know, a few big, big names, big speakers. And it was good for how they think, but it was, I don't know. It's more like an art, how they speak than actual practical things. So yeah. yeah. Jordan Peterson as well.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people dig that. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: so my last question what would be your number one advice to other e-commerce business owners now just before
1: Q4 of 2018? oh just before Q4 okay yeah, I can give a really good piece of advice okay don't discount <laughs> uh, if you do the math discounting actually harms your business a lot more than you think Hypo- I don't know if you want to do math on, on stage yeah go here. ahead
0: just be brutal. Uh, let me like, see
1: if I can make something up here. Uh, let's say you sell a $100 widget, right? Mm-hmm. And your margins are 50%. So every time you sell one, you get 50 bucks. All right. So let's say you typically sell 100 widgets a day, right? So that's $5,000 a day that you make. Let's say Black Friday rolls around and you decide to issue a 25% discount, which is a pretty good discount, right? All of a sudden you're making 75 bucks so $25 in profit times 100 is uh, uh so 20 let's see I'm doing public math here. Uh 2500. So all of a sudden you need to sell double the amount of units just to even break even on your promotion. Right? Yeah. So unless you feel like you can really dramatically grow just from a sale, I wouldn't deeply discount. It hurts you a lot more than you think. And you're doing more work too. That's twice the amount of units that you have to ship. I think many people uh, i
0: i agree with you but i think many people would agree uh, would uh, would um, argue that acquisition so they can acquire a lot of new customers in q4 you know and and that's that's why they
1: do it yeah sure i mean it just depends on what your post purchase flow looks like it might make sense but again if those are people who are just looking for bargains those people might not be as valuable either I mean, I can tell you about my product mix. Um, I did this analysis not too long ago, and I found that the bulk of my customers, over 50% of my customers spend less than half of my average order value. My average order value is about 60 bucks. But those people, the majority of my customers, they actually make up less than 12% of my overall revenue. Where I make the most of my money is with the 10% of my customers who spend mm-hmm. 2x my average order value yeah. that make over 50% of my revenue. Those are the guys I want to focus on. Not the cheapy guys that are coming in on a discount.
0: You you, you segmented them based on their average order value and Mm -hmm. you
1: could see this like an exponential trend? Yeah, we do that. We do that analysis mainly because we go through our customer list and we find out who spends a lot and then we call them on the phone. Chances are they're event and wedding planners. And that actually forms the base of our business. We're in the wedding Mm -hmm. industry. There isn't a lot of repeat business in the first place, right? Unless people are getting divorced uh which yeah. which is true there's a high divorce rate here but the bulk of our revenue is actually from these event and wedding planners so mm-hmm. it's kind of b2b at least for our business yeah yeah
0: i also think many business founders they under value b2b e-commerce actually yeah and and the gifting
1: space that's another one but yeah yeah but let's take amazon for example the lightning deals i think that's like flushing money down the drain
0: personally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, actually, I agree with this too, that uh, acquisition, because many e-commerce folks, they tell this to me that because of acquisition, okay, but you acquire shitty customers, like they just want the discounts and I can see it when I send the emails to those people, so they don't come back. And uh, the churn rate is the biggest, um, you know, those for those customers who... Purchased for the first time in november i can always see that so yeah i i wouldn't do heavy discounting in, in q4 if it's not worth it um steve if anyone wants to maybe reach out to you or follow you where they should go what's the best way to find you
1: i mean the easiest way is just go over to mywifequitterjob.com uh that's like my central hub that'll take you to the youtube channel that'll take you to the podcast that'll tell you about the event and everything sign up for the email list uh i have various mini courses in case you guys are want to learn more about ecom but yeah mywifequitterjob.com best place and if you want to pick up the book it's over at thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com still giving away a bunch of freebies when you when you get the book as well
0: amazing thank you steve for sharing your story and uh all of these knowledge pieces and and how you think i think that's great and the value that you put out on your website and all of these channels. Thanks a lot, everyone who listened to us. Stay tuned every week, we come out with new, two new episodes and uh, have a great day everyone.